Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. How's everybody doing today? Are you doing good? Is there anybody joining from all of our locations that has something to be thankful for? If you have something to be thankful for, put your hands together again. If you're thankful for God's love, God's provision, His mercy, His grace, if you've seen Him turn graves into gardens, seas into highways, we have so much going for us. And sometimes because of the weight of everything that's happening in the world, we can just lose sight of how good we've got it because we've got God. Am I right? And I think we just need a little nugget of truth before I jump into this message. Full disclosure, I don't like this sermon. Uh, When I was preaching on Thursday night, halfway through, I got a little upset about it, and I was like, why am I even preaching this thing? Problem is, people on Thursday night have been telling me that they really, really appreciate it, so you guys are stuck. So if you don't like this message, I'm with you. I didn't want it either. You, we can all blame the Thursday night crowd, okay? Because they're the one who's giving you the dose. Uh, it is good for us to be together and spend some time with God's people, but also to spend some time in God's word. I want to say a quick thank you to the Hannibal location. I appreciated you hosting me last week and letting me be a part of preaching the message at your location and sending it out everywhere else. You guys were incredible hosts. I'm so thankful to be a part of this church with people like you. Well, I did a little research this week and I came across a girl by the name of Shamika Charles. Shamika Charles is a two-time Guinness Book World Record holder for the limbo. Now, I don't know how many of you have done the limbo uh, or how many of you are good at it, but I'm horrible. Uh, I don't know if I've done this here. Um, I need to show you how flexible I am. Are we all ready for this? That is me at full capacity because I've got eye beams for hamstrings. So when we would be at places where they're doing the limbo, I'm out because I can only go back this far and that's it. Well, Shamika set the record at eight and a half inches. My thighs are thicker than eight and a half. You couldn't drag me underneath that bar. It's unbelievable. And people are amazed you can watch videos of her. It's, it's breathtaking to see how she's able to get, make that all happen. Meanwhile, meanwhile, there's a man by the name of Javier Sotomayor. Now Javier, I like the name Javier. In fact, I like the name Javier so much that in my wife's phone, I changed my name from Clayton Hensel to Javier Romance. And and my wife forgets that. And so she'll be like, hey Siri, call Clayton. And I'm sorry, Jennifer, I don't find a Clayton. And so my wife in front of my kids will have to go, hey Siri, call Javier Romance. And you might be wondering, why is my name Javier Romance? Because for my wife, she can have your romance anytime she wants to. (laughs) And and so uh, this guy's name is Javier Sotomayor. He set the world record for the high jump at eight feet and a quarter inches. I'm 6'6", this is eight, eight feet. He runs up and jumps in the air and is able to get his entire body over that. There are some people that see a bar and wonder how far they can lower it and still get under it. And there are other people that see a bar and they wonder how high they can raise it and still get over it. 
I wonder what kind of person you are. I wonder what kind of people we as a church are. I titled my message, Raise the Bar, at all of our locations online. On the count of three, say, raise the bar. One, two, three, raise the bar. We wanna be a people. We wanna be husbands. We wanna be fathers. We wanna be wives. We wanna be mothers. We wanna be nephews, cousins, aunts, coworkers, leaders, bosses, teenagers, people of God who raise the bar. Uh, just be cool when I ask this. If you know somebody or you've heard a story of somebody who has lowered the bar in their life, put your hand up. You know somebody. You've heard a story. Not you personally, because we know that you would never do that, but you know people who have lowered the bar. Maybe it was uh, a man who was tired of being single, and so uh, he lowered the bar, and instead of sticking to some expectations and some qualifications and really waiting out for the right kind of wife, he settled for any kind of wife. Maybe it's a woman who is uh, single, and she's tired of waiting around for Mr. Right. She's tired of waiting around for the right kind of guy and so she lowers the bar and she ends up marrying a man that she should have avoided. She lowered the bar. Maybe it was parenting. Uh, how many of you are like in the oldest class of siblings in your home? And how many of you are in the younger class? Uh, older people join in with me here. Uh, your parents did a better job with the older kids than they did with the younger kids. And that's a proven fact, right? It's because when parents first start out, they're super attentive. They've got a lot of rules and a lot of expectations. And then somewhere along the line, they just get completely lazy. Like, it'll be all right. You blamed it on the younger kid because the younger kid doesn't get in trouble. We've, we've seen this. It happens. Don't worry. It's the truth. My youngest brother's watching this in Macomb right now. You're welcome. Okay. Yeah, my, your parents, over time, they lower the bar. Uh, maybe uh, it happened morally. Circumstances changed, the economy changed, and you found yourself doing something that you never thought that you would do. They lowered the bar in their integrity, and all of a sudden everything was compromised. Maybe you're one of the people that when it comes election time, you get frustrated that we have lowered the bar of our society, that these are the running mates you have to choose between. And people, I hear this all the time, people saying, I feel like I have to pick the best of the worst instead of the best of the best. I'm not, I'm just saying, do you feel like maybe do, when you look out the window that you see that like as a culture, we seem to be lowering the bar? The problem is we look out and we see a lowered bar in the world without recognizing that we lower the bar ourselves all the time. We write ourselves permission slips and oftentimes we are a reflection of what we see in the world instead of being an example of what the world should be. We have a tendency to lower the bar. We keep some, seeing everybody else is the problem and failing to recognize that we bring our own set of problems to the table. I've lowered the bar on multiple occasions in my life and the heartache, the guilt that's associated with it. Sometimes I hear stories of people who lowered the bar. They've had an unbelievably consistent life and then one night, one moment of weakness, one event, one time, and their house, their family, their finances, their company, their business, all comes crashing down because somebody lowered the bar. And maybe the area where we have lowered the bar for far too long is in what we expect from our men. Maybe the area where we have lowered the bar for far too long is what we expect 
out of godly men, men who call themselves Christians. I was talking to Jerry and Allison about preaching through the book of Titus, and uh, if you haven't been coming to church, I did 1 Timothy, and then I did 2 Timothy, and if you're reading through the Bible uh, reading plan, if you've read 1 Timothy and you've read 2 Timothy, Titus is like, do you wanna hear it again? And I'm like, what am I gonna talk about? And Allison said, talk about the men, and as soon as she said it, like my heart started going, oh yeah. So you could also blame Allison if you don't wanna blame the Thursday night people. Okay, this is what it says. Uh, Paul is leaving uh, Titus, another son in the faith, on the island of Crete. And he begins Titus chapter one, verse five. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Titus is left with this charge to put in order, to straighten out. It is this word in the Greek that we get the word orthodontist. How many of you have had braces at all of our locations? Yep, I see those smiles, praise God. How many of you have paid for braces? Okay. How many of you have paid for braces but have never had braces? Yeah, that's the sign of true parenting right there. God bless you. Yeah, I had braces. I never had to wear the headgear. And I think that's partly because they don't make headgear in my size. I can't even find hats to fit, okay? But I had the retainer. Uh, how many of you guys got to enjoy the retainer? That was when I learned how to whistle. Um, I can't whistle like normal people whistle. I'm gonna try and demonstrate how normal people whistle. Hold on. I can't do it. I learned how to whistle with a retainer so all the air goes. So I could sit in class and while the teacher was walking by, like. Looking like nothing's going on. Like she's looking around blaming the other people who have their, you know, and I, I could just whistle. That's how I learned how to whistle. How many of you had the water pick? Yeah, my dad got, my dad got his from Briggs and Stratton. Had a pull start. I remember the first time I turned that thing on, I, I think I drilled a hole in the top two parts of my teeth and about uh, did, got rid of my tonsils. And I was like, dad, I don't want to do it anymore. There's blood everywhere. He's like, we're paying for these braces. You're doing the thing. <laughs> that was what we had to do. And what's happened, the whole purpose of that was is we needed to keep the teeth clean. We need to do everything we're supposed to do because over the next three years, every so often, I'm going to go in and I'm going to sit in that chair. And while I'm doing it, I'm going to watch some show, like some soap opera, because that was what they always had on where I was doing it, sat back in the leather chair, soap opera. And then they come out and they just start tightening. And like, it's going to hurt for a bit. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm aware. I'm fully aware. Then they would tighten again. You know what they were doing? They were straightening it out. Paul writes to Timothy and he's saying, take this island of Crete to the orthodontist and start straightening them out. 
and it takes time and it takes hard work and it takes persistence. And he says, you know what? You're gonna need a team of people to help you do this and they're gonna be called elders and they're gonna help you straighten things out, get things straight. And then once things are straight, keep them straight. And then he starts talking about the qualifications of what these people need to be. And I know that some of you are going, but Clayton, I'm not a, I don't plan on being an elder. These are qualifications for an elder. Let me ask you this question. When you thought that thought, were you raising the bar in your life or were you lowering it? You might be going, but Clayton, I'm a, I'm a woman. So these are qualifications for, question, question, question. Um, if you're raising daughters, what kind of men do you want your daughters to be on the lookout for? Maybe they're so bad at picking the right guys because they've never been taught what to look for in a guy. If you're raising sons, what kind of men do you want them to be? What kind of future husbands do you want them to be? You might be going, but Clayton, I'm single. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Maybe one day you won't be. And maybe I can save you some of the heartache of other people that are sitting in your row. If you're to know what God looks for and what God expects. And so he starts to give this list and he gives a list of five things that are not supposed to be a part of a believer's life. That like a believer should not have these attributes. The first one is not overbearing. It sounds way safer than it is. An overbearing person is uh, self-willed and pushy. They want to get their own way at any cost. They will charge through and make sure that the things that they want to have happen take place regardless of how it impacts other people. The entire Me Too movement was born out of these kinds of men. But it's not just limited to the bedroom, it happens in the boardroom where people want to do their way over everybody else's way and pay no regard for everyone else. Is that the kind of man you want to raise in your house? Is that the kind of man that you want your daughters to marry? Is that the kind of man you actually are? It has no place, no place in the life of a believer. The second one is they're not supposed to be quick-tempered. Now, I know that some of you right now are like, really? I'm Irish. What do you, what do you, what do you want me to do? The Lord, I made this way. I get it. Now, this is more than just like an occasional outburst. This is people who on a regular basis are losing their cool. They have a short fuse. Too many homes, too many families have been blown up by men with short tempers. Too many wives have a hard time connecting with their uh, present husband because of the way that their father was always blowing up on them when they were being raised. Too many fathers are distant from their kids because they're worried that if they get close, they might end up doing to their kids what their father did to them. There are so many people walking around with daddy wounds because men couldn't control their temper. Their, their temper. The life of a believer, Christian men are not supposed to be quick-tempered. Third, they're not to be given to drunkenness. Now I think at surface level, we can all kind of agree on all of these so far, but this one, people get a little defensive about this one. We're not supposed to be drunk. It literally means continually alongside or in the presence of wine where alcohol slowly integrates its way into your identity. 
And I know that right now there are some of you who want me to back off, and there are others of you that want me to double down. There are others of you that want me to say it's fine to drink, and there are others of you that want me to say right now that it has no place in the life of a believer. I am going to make both of you very unhappy. There are some who have battled with addiction, and you know that you live uh, one drink away from having your life fall into utter calamity. There are some of you right now where you can't think of an activity where alcohol isn't part of your life. You come home from work, you know what you deserve? You deserve a beer. You mow the yard, you know what you need? A beer. You're getting ready to go to a softball game, you know what you need? You need a beer. You put your dish away in the dishwasher, you know what you deserve? A beer. You're getting ready to go golfing, what do you need? A beer. You're getting ready to go to a family vacation, what do you need? A beer. You're going out on the river to go boating, what do you need? A beer. Getting ready to hang out with the family for Christmas and Thanksgiving, a beer. You can't think of an activity that does not involve you swinging by a gas station and picking up a beer. You can't think of an activity where you're not opening the fridge before you do that activity and grabbing a beer. It is continually a long sight of you. There is a big difference between having alcohol and alcohol having you. There's a big difference between it being part of a celebration on occasions and it being the cause of destruction in your home. There are some of you right now that are wanting me to say, well, like, how many beers is too many beers? And my guess is that your number and your family's number for you are drastically different. And I would encourage you to start asking your family what their number is. And asking how many can you have, is that you, just hear me, raising the bar in your life, or is it you lowering it? A man of God raises the bar. They never allow themselves to drink themselves into a position where they cannot be the best husband, best father, best friend, best worker, or driver that they can be. Personally, I wanna always be in a spot where I can do ministry at a moment's notice. How would it hit you if you called me up because your family was having a rough time and I needed a designated driver to drop me off at your place to counsel you? That wouldn't raise some red flags. We're supposed to be ready in season and out of season. That's the charge that we take on as Christians. How many families have been torn apart, financial disasters created, orphans made by men who refuse to keep themselves from drunkenness? Fathers, as you raise your boys, just ask yourself this question, how much of a better father is alcohol gonna make my son? Ladies, when you think about your future husband, are you going, I want the drunk one. Please give me the drunk one with a six pack. That's the one, that's, that's my guy. Or are you going, maybe I should raise the bar? Now, I'm not saying, listen, I'm not saying no, and I'm not saying not ever. I'm saying we should all agree that drunkenness has no, I've never heard of a positive story of somebody being drunk. Have you? On Thursday night, I was talking to Bill about uh, the, the crossing inside, and he used to raise this, ask this question among the inmates. And he'd say, how many of you are in here because of an event that you did while you were on a substance? 75% would always raise their hands. One night, being drunk, led to something else, led to something else, and now these guys can't be husbands, can't be fathers. We need to raise the bar. Next one, not violent. That's the fourth one. We're not supposed to be violent people. I don't know if there's some of us, we're more prone to want to settle things with our fists than our words. 
but we're not supposed to be violent people, but we're also not supposed to be quarrelsome. There's some of us, we pride ourselves on how we're never physically dangerous or abusive to our family, but verbally, we are just as abusive. In fact, our words are just as dangerous and hurtful as our fists would be. And instead of breathing life and encouragement into our homes, they walk on eggshells, worried and fearful. Are these the kind of... I keep wondering if, if we were raising our kids to look for this kind of stuff, we could have Darwined our way out of most of this behavior. Like if all the people who were violent and drunks and had short tempers, we were to avoid them, they couldn't procreate. They would have just in a couple generations just disappeared. But somehow we're not looking for it or we write excuses for it and then we engage in it and form a relationship with it. And then we tolerate it and accept it and enable it, and then the cycle continues on to the next generation. The fifth one is we're not supposed to be people who pursue dishonest gain. These are the kind of men who without honesty or integrity, they seek wealth and financial prosperity at all costs. They'd rather make a quick buck than an honest buck. These are the kind of people that it controls them and it drives them. They. Uh, back out on their promises, they forget their word, they, mis or they, they misrepresent their timesheet when they clock it in. These are the people that are get, they get so upset that HR exists without realizing that they are the very reason why HR exists. I uh, do a lot of weddings, and um, when, when couples ask me to do the wedding, I sit down with them and I take them through like uh, what that's gonna look like, we sign a contract that they're not gonna do this, they're not gonna do that, I'm gonna do this, it's really cool. And then I tell them what I'm gonna charge them. I don't do weddings for free, uh, for the most part. And uh, the reason why I charge is not because I'm a, you know, a greedy punk, it's because uh, I love my job with you guys, and that job, our day starts on Sunday, and we work all the way through Thursday night at Thursday night service. And then Friday is technically our day off, and, but that's usually a day where I do a lot of church work while my kids are at school, and then I end up doing church work on Saturday, but I'm at least around the house. Well, every time I do a wedding, I'm gonna be gone Friday and Saturday. That means that out of a given uh, week, I'm gonna work seven days a week. And if I have 12 people in a church of our size that want me to do a wedding, that's 12 weeks out of the year where I'm not gonna be able to be the kind of husband and father that you want me to be if I'm gonna be your preacher, right? And so I had this couple come in and they're like, Clayton, we would like you to do our wedding. And I'm like, okay, here's the deal. Here's how much it costs. I think at that time I did it for a couple hundred bucks. And they're like, okay. And uh, I'm like, here's what we're gonna do is great. And we're going through the books and we're doing the counseling. You know what they say? They're like, we wanna get baptized. I'm like, yes. So I baptized them. I was like, oh, Clayton rocks at marital counseling. And then they, uh, they decide that they wanna become members of the church. And so they take the membership class. And I'm like, oh my goodness, yes. Yes, and then they're like, hey, we wanna start serving in ministry. I'm like, get out of here. Everybody should get married by me, this is epic. And they're just moving along. And then I'm getting ready to marry them and they didn't pay me. And since I am not passive aggressive, I called them. I said, hey, remember like a week ago, you were supposed to send me a check for, you know, 200 and some bucks? They're like, oh yeah, we were not doing that. Like, what do you mean? Like, oh, we thought if we got baptized and became members of your church that like your services would be free. And I went, mm, no. Now these are, listen, this is part of the reason why I charge. People pay uh, a couple thousand dollars for photographers and they should and a couple thousand dollars for videographers and a couple thousand for flowers and, and, and dresses and caterers. And do you know what? Those are all awesome, but there's only one thing that can actually marry them. 
Flowers ain't gonna, aren't gonna pronounce you husband and wife. That's this fool. And I'm like, 1% of the cost of a wedding. And I'm going, you know, anyhow. So I, I go, hey, I just, can you get her on the phone too? And I said, I just want you guys to know you both sold out your integrity for 200 bucks and you're gonna have to wonder all the time whether or not you're gonna sell out your integrity to one another for less. Two years later, they were divorced. Now, we have no problem identifying it in other people's lives, but are there areas in your life where you are pursuing dishonest gain? And then he gives a list of 12 things that Christians are supposed to be. We're supposed to be blameless. We're supposed to be people who are faithful to our wives. A one woman man, that's number two. Now I know some of you are going, I have been physically faithful to my wife all the time. But you may be physically faithful to her, but you have not been spiritually, emotionally, or visually faithful to her. You've got a wife, but you've also got a side project. And late at night on your computer, on your phone, on your tablet, on your DVR, you're cheating on her. And you're wondering why you don't have a whole lot of connectivity and activity with your wife, and that's because of your internet activity and connectivity. And Christian men, we're supposed to raise the bar. The thing that you're using to substitute for your intimacy is actually destroying your intimacy. And we're supposed to be people who raise the bar. The third qualification, the third thing that we're supposed to be is people who raise children who believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. How many of you have heard horror stories of the preacher kids? Yeah, they're the worst. I hear you. That's why I'm not a preacher, I'm a pastor, okay? Right? <laughs> okay, so. And what this means is, is I'm supposed to make sure that my first home is my, is my mission field. What it means for you as a Christian is you had better be a success in your home before you ever try to be a success in the workplace. Because when you are old and gray, you will not care what kind of watch you got for how many years of service you put in. You won't care about all the overtime you earn because your home is where you're supposed to get the overtime. Your home is where you're supposed to be involved. In the morning before your kids are going off to school, you're praying over them and you're vision casting over them. And before they go to bed tonight, you're teaching them about Jesus. And when you're interacting with their mom, you're showing them how they're supposed to treat a lady. You are supposed to make sure that you are doing everything on your, on your end to raise godly followers of Jesus. The fourth thing we're supposed to be is hospitable. The word there is lovers of strangers. Man, this is what this is. You're the guy in the neighborhood where the garage door's always up where you spend more time sitting in the garage looking at all the people who live next to you than in the backyard where nobody can see you. It means that you get to buy more tools because everybody comes over to your garage to borrow your stuff and you can look at your wife and say, hey babe, Bob's been borrowing the DeWalt drill lately. I think I also need to get a Milwaukee, right? It means that you can upgrade your weed eater and you can get a better mower and go, you know what? Some of the guys are wanting to bag this year, babe, and I just wanna be hospitable, so I think I need to buy a bagger. You are the guy where, who is always looking for ways to practically meet the needs of the people around you. It means that you wake up sometimes, guys, and you go, hey, babe, how about we throw a barbecue for all of our neighbors? And she's like, whoa, Mr. Antisocial, what got into you? And you're like, oh, I'm just raising the bar. 
And that as you bring all of these other men and women around your house, you start to show them the love of Jesus and they see the kind of thing that you're not and the kind of things that we are and it makes them go, what got into you? And then you get to tell them, Jesus got into me and he can get into you too. We raise the bar. We're supposed to be lovers of what is good. Remember what it said in Philippians chapter four? Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. We're supposed to be lovers of that which is good and hate that which is evil. We're supposed to be self-controlled, sober-minded, cool-headed. We have control over what we think about and what we do. We know our priorities and we're devoted to them. We're supposed to be upright, holy, just individuals, devout in our direction and our purpose, a genuine obedience to God's will, disciplined. They live an exemplary life. I once had a a Bible college president, I was helping him do something. He says, when you're a Christian, you're the example, not the exception. And what would that look like for you and me as Christians? Instead of us always letting ourselves be the exception to the rule, we were to be the example to all the people around us. We're supposed to hold firmly to the message, the trustworthy message, cling to it, but you can't cling to the message that you're not reading and engaged in. That you understand what the Bible says about God and what the Bible says about you and what it says about this life and that this life is not all that there is and that there is another life to come and that people can find an intimate personal relationship. You and I as men, as women, we're supposed to cling to that message and we're supposed to encourage the people around us with it. And then the people who disagree with it, we're supposed to have a working knowledge so that we we can refute them show them the error of their ways and bring them into a right relationship with Jesus. This is what Paul is telling uh, Titus to raise up among him. And I am wondering what would happen if we as a church were to start raising the bar. I know this list might seem lofty, but isn't that part of our problem? That we have lowered our expectations so low that normal Christian activity seems out of reach. We're writing ourselves too many permission slips, too many free passes, and handing out way too many participation trophies. When as Christians, we should be raising the bar. I don't know how long ago it was, but Jennifer and I were having a discussion. And when Jennifer and I are having discussions, there's usually live ammo involved. It's it's hot takes. And she was pointing out to me some areas in my life where I should improve. And I was not taking it well. Um, in fact, uh, after she got done with the couple things that she wanted me to do better, uh, I began to tell her that she was ungrateful. You can see how this went. And <laughs> I took it well. And uh, I started listing off all the things that other guys do that I don't do and said, you're welcome. <laughs> and, and uh, my wife, she's a bit of a sassy girl. She, um, she said, well, I didn't marry those guys. And I wouldn't have married those guys. And I'm a Christian, so I expect Christian behavior. I'm not comparing you to the losers of this world. I'm comparing you to Jesus. Mm, okay. So, uh, point taken, my dear lady. Uh, touche. 
Uh, and listen, she's right. Let me level with you. If you guys wanna compare yourself to people who are messing up and screwing up all the time, you're never gonna run out of people to compare yourself to. But if you wanna raise the bar, we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who said, you've heard it said, don't kill. But I tell you, if you hate somebody in your heart, you've already committed murder. We're talking to Jesus who says, man, he says don't commit adultery. But I tell you, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Jesus comes to us and he raises the bar. And I think deep down inside, we wanna be a people who raise the bar and you need to know you cannot do it. You cannot do it on your own power and you cannot do it on your own strength. You're gonna need the Holy Spirit's help to do it. But the good news is, is when you ask, you can expect to receive. And if you've never started an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you can. And the Bible promises that when we enter the waters of baptism and we submit in the area and we become baptized, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which will enable you to raise the bar. I wonder at all of our locations, if you'd be willing to raise the bar with me. We're moving to a time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.